0: kids turn one and our expectations change and we want them to eat for nutrition and food as fuel. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul Smith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. And as you are listening to this podcast today, I am also writing the last pages of my next book. It is called Fat Talk, Parenting in the Age of Diet Culture. It will be out next April. I'm recording this with still about 6,000 words ahead of me. I'm hoping by the time you're hearing this, it's like 1,500 words left or even none left. That would be great. So, you know, it's such a weird experience. I love writing books. I love being immersed in the research and the storytelling and the issues that I'm thinking about constantly. But I'm definitely also in the can no longer see the forest for the trees, have no perspective on whether this is any good sort of overwhelm stage that is being done with the first draft. So that is how I am feeling. Again, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, I will be feeling much closer to relieved and celebratory, but I'm not quite there yet. And because I am swamped with getting this manuscript finished, I am giving you a couple of weeks of rerun episodes just so I can stay firmly locked into book world and a little less bouncing between book, newsletter, podcast, the way I have been for the last many months. So this week's rerun is a conversation that Amy Palangian and I had on our old podcast, Comfort Food. It's about emotional eating. This episode first aired on February 27th, 2020. And I think it's one where we were actually a little ahead of our time because, you know, once COVID happened, I feel like the conversation around comfort eating changed. There was so much demonization of comfort eating and stress eating that we did see this really powerful backlash of folks saying, no, wait, actually, we're going through a global trauma. Making sourdough and enjoying it is a great way to cope with your anxiety. And, you know, a lot of that's what Amy and I are talking about in this episode. So we are longtime fans of comfort eating. That's why we named the podcast Comfort Food and Emotional Eating as a benign coping strategy. And it's something I continue to talk about a lot all the time. You know, the importance of reclaiming these coping strategies for yourself, of removing the guilt and shame because that's what causes them to feel so harmful. You know, a lot of what we talk about may not feel entirely new to you if you've been following burnt toast for a while. But I do think we hit a lot of the key points really well, and if you are struggling with feeling okay about feeding yourself in any way, it should be a really useful lesson. So, here's me and Amy, but first, a quick break. Okay, it is time to read another of your podcast reviews. Thanks so much for sending these in, guys. They really mean a ton. This one is from C.M. Baker, and they write, I found Virginia through her and Amy Polangian's comfort food podcast, R.I.P., But good news, Sam, because you're getting it again this week. I fully credit her with changing my relationship to eating and shaping how I fed my child from the very start, very much for the better. I recommend her work as the entry point with friends who are daily struggling with the effects of diet culture all the time, and I'm just so excited to finally be able to recommend more of her in my favorite media. Thank you so much, Sam. That is awesome to hear. Yes, I love doing the podcast. It is so interesting to hear from folks about whether they listen or read the transcripts, but it does seem like having an audio component to these conversations is so important and so helpful. So I'm really grateful to all of you who are listening. So if you have thoughts to share about Burnt Toast, whether it's the newsletter or the podcast, leave a review in your podcast player and I will read it here on the air sometime. You know, if it's nice. Maybe not even if it's not nice. We'll see whatever you want to say. (laughs) Reviews and ratings are such a key way to support the show because the more ratings and reviews the podcast gets in Apple and Spotify, the more we will find new listeners. So thank you for taking a moment to do that. The other key way you can support the show is to become a subscriber to the Burnt Toast newsletter. Just click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. It is just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You will also get full access to the Burnt Toast newsletter, which includes reported essays and my monthly Ask Virginia column, and you'll become a part of the Burnt Toast community with commenting privileges and our super awesome Friday thread discussions. So go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Comfort Food. This is the podcast about the joys and meltdowns of feeding our families and feeding ourselves. So this week, we
1: are going to explore the concept of emotional eating and some of the myths and misconceptions that can come up, and also to talk about, is it okay to eat when you're not physically hungry?
0: I'm Virginia Sol Smith. I'm a writer, a contributor to Parents Magazine and New York Times Parenting, and I'm the author of The Eating Instinct, Food Culture, Body Image, and Guilt in America, which is out in paperback now, and it has such a pretty new cover. Maybe I'll get Amy to put a picture in the show notes. You guys should definitely check it out. Anyway, I write about how women relate to food in our bodies in a culture that gives us so many unrealistic expectations about those things. And I'm Amy Plangian,
1: a writer, recipe developer, and creator of Yummy Toddler Food, and I love helping parents to stop freaking out about what their kids will and won't eat and sharing doable recipes that fit it into even the busiest family schedules. Okay, so obviously the name of our podcast is Comfort Food, so we think that food should be comforting. <laughs> But
0: yep. we realized realized no we've never
1: food. like explicitly talked about it um, in depth about the concept of comfort as it relates to food and why we think it's important.
0: Yeah. And it's like really sort of obviously fundamental to what we do. I mean, again, we named the podcast after it. Um, although fun backstory, I thought it would be fun to talk about some of, I actually can't remember all the names we went through, but I know I really wanted to call the podcast Burnt Toast which I still think is a great name, but we couldn't because there was one, right? Even though it was like not around. Like, yeah,
1: it's like not a functioning podcast, but then, no.
0: yeah. So anyway, if you're listening and you were affiliated with the prior Burnt Toast podcast, you should give us your name. Now <laughs> I, want it. I mean, we're kind of already here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but Comfort Food felt like the perfect name for, I mean, I think what we liked about Burnt Toast was that it was like the sort of imperfect, you know, Meals on the fly situation that a lot of us are in. We went through like a lot
1: of iterations of like something with pasta. Like.
0: I know. We, I really wanted to name it something with pasta. <laughs> Basically, you can tell from all the foods we considered, we were about comfort food. So then yeah. it was like, okay, let's just like group it all together into that umbrella. Yeah. And you actually wanted to use um, that phrase in your book title, right? Yeah. My original title for The Eating Instinct was comfort. It was actually comfort, comma, food. I don't know why... Now that feels dumb and a little twee. Maybe that's why my <laughs> agent vetoed it. Um, but I thought that that that's kind of summed up what I was initially hoping to do with the book, and then my agent and the publisher liked the Eating Instinct better because I think they felt like it was a little more sciencey sounding. And I, I don't know, guys, naming books is really hard. Um, but you know, the reason that I wanted it to be the book title is. You know, so the book starts with Violet's story, which I've told a million times. I won't go all the way through again. But a really big turning point for us in helping Violet learn to become an oral eater was in the summer of 2016 when she was she was in and out of the hospital a ton and she had actually gotten off her feeding tube and become a really successful oral oral leader. And then she was very, very sick again, and she stopped eating. And I remember being in the ICU with her and these hospital dieticians and doctors kind of swarming and always obsessing over why she wasn't eating, what was going on, and what was going on. And it was just so clear to me that eating had ceased to offer her any comfort. And so she had no incentive to do it. It felt like just another horrible thing happening to her body in this really intense medical situation. And it didn't turn, like she didn't turn the corner again until she found a way to make eating feel safe and comforting. And that really opened my eyes to how, you know, if like in this hospital setting it doesn't work with a sick kid, they need food to be comforting. Like we all need that. And we are so consistently making nutrition the enemy of comfort in the way we relate to food. So that was really what inspired the book and also a lot of the conversations that Amy and I have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean so much about like what we hear about nutrition or the way that we're supposed to eat, I put that in quotes, um, now is like looking at macros and like – Doing it by grams, and it's like so devoid of any emotion that, but that's just not what it's like when you sit down at the table. And so it's, you can't separate the two.
0: Right. I mean, it literally doesn't work without it. And, you know, I think any of us who have successfully fed a baby, you sort of intrinsically get why comfort matters. Like, you see, it is absolutely essential to a baby eating that they feel safe and comfortable. And then it's this like really cozy bonding joyous experience to feed a baby for both the parent and the child. But then it's like suddenly kids turn one and our expectations change and we want them to eat all these different foods. But now it's like for nutrition and food is fuel. And we want them to think of food as just this way to like, you know, grow their bodies, but not, we're just much more anxious about comfort, even though we are, I mean, you know, a lot of the research I did for the book really showed like we are biologically programmed to seek comfort in food. This is, A feature it's not a bug we evolved to do it because human survival depends on us eating so often like we have to eat very regularly and babies in particular have to eat over and over and over again all day long and so if we didn't find it inherently pleasurable and comforting we wouldn't do it especially you know generations ago when food was scarce and it was hard to do and so like we need this this is this is fundamental to the whole thing Mm -hmm.
1: um so last week so I had his 12 month checkup and on the little paper that they give us, it's like your baby should be weaned off a bottle at this point. And I was like, mm, Well, well, taking well like let's let's back up and look at like the emotional attachment that that baby might have. <laughs> like, yeah, um yeah. And it's also like for adults, it's been drilled into us that we're supposed to eat when we're hungry and stop when we're full. And mm-hmm. if we eat for any other reason then like we're doing something wrong, we feel guilty and we've failed ourselves.
0: Yeah, I think both uh, Christy Harrison and Evelyn Trebilly have talked about that in their episodes on the podcast. There's a misconception that when you talk about intuitive eating, you're talking about the hunger fullness diet, and that you should only eat. and I actually had a friend. I was um, a few months ago. We were out getting ice cream and she was like, Oh, I'd love to have that, but I'm not hungry and I'm doing intuitive eating, so I'm not gonna eat the ice cream. And I was like, Oh no. (laughs) That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you only eat when you experience physical hunger. Like you can also eat because we're out with our kids eating ice cream and we want to share that. And that's you know, that is this other piece of it. There's, you know, we are both of these things. Yeah.
1: So we're going to run through a few common um, myths about comfort food and emotional eating. Okay. So myth number one, eating to comfort yourself is always bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. we. I mean, that's what people think, right? They think like, oh, the cliche of like having the pint of ice cream after a breakup or, you know, like wanting cheese, like something cheesy crackers when you're stressed out or all these things is like somehow this big failure. But Yeah, eating something tasty to cheer yourself up after a hard day is totally normal. It's totally human. And it's also a totally fine coping strategy.
1: Yeah, I have come to terms with the fact that I always need some sort of chocolate at the end of the day. It's just like not, it's nothing to do with like my overall nutritional intake. It just makes me feel better.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've Nothing had a day. You have that. three children running around you. Yeah, house. I made it to the I made it to the end of the you day. Made guys. It. <laughs> <laughs> you made it to bedtime. You need chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I struggled with this um when that story I mentioned earlier, when we were in the hospital for so many months with Violet. Um, you know, some people when they're undergoing extreme trauma totally lose their appetite and stop eating. And you, you know, you often hear this is, This is, I've had friends say to me, this is really hard. People will praise this weight loss, but actually they're like, well, my life's falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really for a good reason. So, you know, that definitely happens. I do not respond to trauma that way. I respond to trauma by seeking comfort in food. And so I did a lot of comfort eating during those years with Violet being so sick. And I had to really kind of come to terms with You know, I struggled with that. Like, oh, I shouldn't be comfort eating. And then finally, I was like, you know what? I am freaking eating this chocolate croissant in a corner of an ICU hospital room. Like, this is what's getting me through the day, I am glad it is here for me. Like, there is nothing wrong with it. It's a form of taking care of yourself, for sure. And I think it just gets such a bad rap. And um, Christy and I did a an event for our books recently. And one of the, when we were doing the audience Q and A, um, a new mom raised her hand and she said, you know, I'm really, I really think I'm an emotional eater. And especially now that she, I think her baby's like three months old, you know, postpartum, it just feels like I can't even have chocolate in the house cause I can't stop eating it. And we were both just like, of course you need chocolate. You are three months postpartum. You're right. not sleeping. You know, your life has really like been thrown up in the air. Like give yourself this grace. And this yeah. Comfort. It's
1: like you, you're grasping at straws for something yeah. to sort of make you feel a little bit better in the moment. That's, I have this um, lactation cookie, which I'm like renaming to be just mama cookies. And like, it has chocolate in it purely because I know that having that like 30 seconds of something that tastes good in your mouth is incredibly helpful when mm-hmm. you're taking care of a small child, you are super, super tired, and you just need like that small window of pleasure
0: and you know like you literally can't get more sleep probably like that's not available to you like probably you wouldn't crave the chocolate quite as much if you were getting nine hours of sleep a night but that's not going to happen for a long time right so the solution is not to deprive yourself of this other thing it's to you know meet what need you can so yeah it's a way to reframe it
1: okay so myth number two feeling compulsive around food is the same as emotionally eating
0: Yeah. So this is interesting because people often label something as emotional eating when what they really mean is it's hard for me to stop eating X. Like if I have a bag of potato chips, I'm going to eat the whole bag. Or if I see a plate of brownies, I'm going to need to eat the the whole plate of brownies. And they think that this means they're eating emotionally when it may just mean that they're restricted. They feel restricted about that food and they're you know, they, they've they restricted it for so long and now they can't anymore. And that's why they're eating it in that kind of uncontrollable, scary feeling way. And, you know, this is a really big misconception about binge eating disorder, um, that it's somehow really different from anorexia or bulimia, these other eating disorders that are more obviously restriction-based. People think like, oh, binge eating disorder, those people just eat all the time. They can never stop. But all the new research on it is showing, no, most of them, I think it's around 40% of cases. It's A response to a more restrictive, like somebody has been on a more restrictive plan or, you know, diet or full anorexia and then, you know, reaches, kind of hits a brick wall with that and it goes the other way. Um, And there's, you know, there's other reasons that binge eating disorder, it's a whole complicated thing. We don't have to get into (laughs) all of it. You know, a lot of cases are also people responding to growing up with intense food insecurity, but, you know, not having enough food in your house is also a form of restriction. So it's kind of threaded throughout. And I think it's important to understand that because we punish the symptom, which is the sort of like eating in this uncontrollable way without dealing with like what's really causing that. And so I think for a lot of us, um, even if you're not in sort of in an extreme place with it, but that feeling of like, you know, I can't control myself around this food. What you really need to ask is like, you know, why are you restricting this food? Why, is, why are you not able to give yourself permission to enjoy it when it's here?
1: Yeah. And I think if you've ever had um, a child who's been like obsessed about one type of food or another, like let's just pick goldfish. Um, mm. and then you buy goldfish and allow them to have them for snacks, like they or you know, you don't hide them or just like restrict them in any way, they lose a lot of their appeal. And so yes. like that becomes very clear that they weren't necessarily wanting to have them so badly because they love them so much it was the feeling that they love they love them and also they were not allowed to have them
0: right 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 so there's not yeah the love is not the problem it was the restriction that was the problem Um, and it's also worth noting you know there's a difference between using food to comfort yourself in a tough situation or after a tough day and then using food as a way to escape or numb your emotions And that can become a more self-destructive way to go. Just like drinking to numb your emotions can be destructive. You know, anytime we're escaping our feelings, it can be worrisome. But again, it's not that it's the food is not the problem, and the solution isn't to stop eating those foods. It's to deal, you know, figure out how to deal with the hard feelings and find Mm -hmm. other coping strategies. And I'd also argue even in the short term, like sometimes emotions are too freaking big. I was going to say like maybe, yeah, maybe it's okay to numb your emotions sometimes if you need to. (laughs) Maybe you can't deal with it all in one day (laughs) and you'll deal with some more of it tomorrow. (laughs) And that is, yeah. So again, you know, let's not demonize these strategies. It's interesting how much these like really normal, ways of coping with life become demonized because they don't line up with diet culture expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. But we, of course, blame ourselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that has been helpful um, for me, like if there's something that I feel like I just want to eat the whole thing of is just to be like, I just ask myself, like, what if I'm just allowed to eat as much as I want? Mm -hmm. Like, does that change the emotional reaction to it? Mm. Um, It doesn't. Usually, I mean, I have asked my significant other that question, too, if there's something that he says he can't have in the house. And I'm like, what if you were just allowed to have it? And it's just, it's
0: an interesting exercise. Yeah, just just be curious about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And then the third myth is, um, Amy touched on it a little bit, but this is I think a really big one: um, is this idea that we should not let our kids eat for comfort either, and that we somehow have to rein in their emotions around food.
1: Yeah, and so like back to the baby example. Um, so right now, I mean, we talked a little bit about weaning, and I mean, we're not weaning, but like it's a little bit on my mind. Um, and so like, no matter when Selway's last bottle was, when I pick him up at daycare, he always wants me to breastfeed him, and that's obviously not about hunger. Like he could have had a bottle within an hour and he wants to do that because it's how he connects with me. Right. And like, To see his mama. Yeah. And like, it's a totally normal, like that would not be something that would be upsetting to anyone. Like that's very easy to understand. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think like taking that a few years forward when the child isn't breastfeeding, but also like has that relationship with food, it would be like kind of weird if they weren't, comforted by food in some ways. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, this is this is something that's part of the human experience. Like it is speaking of someone who had a kid who found no comfort in food, it is terrifying actually yeah. when you actually take it all the way to that extreme place. And you know, one of the like most like powerful memories of my life is the first time I saw Violet take comfort from food. She was uh, you know, a little older than Selway and kind of snuggled on my lap, like eating an apple. And You know what the food was doesn't matter. It was just I suddenly had this experience of like, oh, oh, she associates me and food and comfort all together again, the way she should, and it's so powerful. And we were also talking a little before we started recording about you know seeing our kids use food in this way is actually like really, it's a sign that they they are self regulating. Like if your kid is in a bad mood and does take some comfort from you know Beatrix often will if something falls apart for her, you know, she immediately says, where's my hubby? which is her lovey. And then like, I need my snack cup. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I'm not worried that she's like addicted to the goldfish or whatever's in the snack cup. It's like, she's like, oh, I need some comfort right now. <laughs> That's pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's helpful if you think of it as, I mean, like I I don't know that I would want a child to always turn to food for comfort just as like I would want for myself to have different options of things that would make me feel better. Yes. But I think having it in the arsenal with other things can be super helpful. I mean, we had a situation where one of the girls was able to calm themselves down after like a pretty horrific screaming (laughs) battle um, with like some crackers, a cucumber and a book. And like, There's nothing wrong in that situation. No, there's like like,
0: so many great tools. Yeah. Yeah. Like so many great strategies that she's using there. Yeah. And
1: I think like when that happens as a parent, your your like initial reaction might be like, "Uh uh-oh, like I know she's not hungry. I'm supposed to be teaching her to honor her like hunger cues. But at the same time, I think we need to be aware that like sometimes we have to look at the bigger context and realize that in that moment, that was a helpful choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really talk about comfort as the third eating instinct. Like that's you know, we've got hunger and fullness, but comfort is this other really important one. And um Jennifer Barry's talked about that too that it is an internal drive. Kids have to seek comfort. And so You know, don't dismiss that, even if it feels at odds with their hunger. Um, But yes, of course, just as eventually Selway will not need to nourish the second he sees you at the end of the day. Um, And you will find some, you know, or when we were weaning Beatrix's battle, we had to find, like I I think I talked about in that episode, um, episode uh, 37. Um, We talked about how she wanted to read the exact same bedtime book like every night for two weeks while we were dropping the bottles because that was like the new comfort thing. She wanted Curious George over and over and over. And so, you know, we can definitely encourage kids to find these other tools, but don't be afraid of the food as a tool. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And I did also – so this was on my mind after the Super Bowl. I mean I was thinking about how like holiday foods can offer this type of – or food traditions can be comforting in this way too because – so we had this – my husband grew up with his – he didn't have a TV but his grandparents did. And so on Super Bowl Sunday he went to his grandparents and his grandfather made him root beer float. And so he's always wanted to share that tradition with us and like at this point in time my girls don't like the carbonation – in drinks like they don't like carbonated drinks mm. so they don't like soda and so the idea of having soda poured on ice cream is like ruining ice cream for them mm. and so they were like we just want the ice cream and i i don't know fruit it's like not my favorite thing like give me i don't so but i realized like after it i was like okay i didn't handle that well because this is something that means a lot to him there could have been a way that we could have all shared that experience taking comfort in the food experience but not like just got. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, there was a bigger meaning to that. Right. That was the, the, more than just the food.
0: Yeah, I mean, he wanted to like tell the story of drinking yeah. root beer floats with his granddad and that kind of thing. And you could have right. shared that while possibly serving the root beer in glasses separate or from like, the ice you cream. You know, like we <laughs> could have
1: showed the girls what happened when that we pour the the. It could have been like
0: looking. Oh at yeah, there's like the cool science experiment. Yeah, like there could have been ways
1: that we could have all shared the experience without like the way that it turned out just was kind of, was like really disappointing, oh. um, but like at the, you know,
0: yeah, yeah. But
1: it, I mean, this happens, I mean, now with a lot of people having very specific dietary restrictions, like this happens at the holidays where mm-hmm. the foods that you once were able to share with everyone, you sort of can't. And then how do you have that same, like, where do all of those feelings <laughs> go about those foods that you love right. when you can't, you can't share them in the same way?
0: Yeah, no, that's really tough. And you see this on both sides. You see both the person with the restriction struggling to sort mm-hmm. of enjoy their holiday in the same way. And I also feel for the people preparing the food, you know, grandma or whoever makes these amazing cookies every year and suddenly people are not eating it. Like that's a little bit heartbreaking right. um, because she's done that to show her love. So yeah, you kind of have to think about the feelings on both sides of that. Um, And it's not to say you can't find new and different traditions, but also that maybe these traditions do really matter and – shouldn't just be sort of tossed aside.
1: Right. And I think we can get like laser focused on just like the specific food aspect of it when Mm -hmm. we are in the culture that we're in that does often boil it down to just like whether or not it has gluten or whatever the thing might be.
0: Right, 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 right. No, I mean, there's so much talk around the holidays about like how there's too much focus on food. And to my mind, it's like, it's so sad that we can't just let This be about food because Mm -hmm. it is (laughs) because again that's very fundamental to human experience to celebrate through food is something that every culture around the world does like this is this is part of what we do so right yeah being able to enjoy that and appreciate it for what it is and then it doesn't have to dominate in this intense way because again you've removed the restriction around it you can take the comfort from it without feeling this sort of compulsive out of control thing around it
1: Mm -hmm. okay. Do you guys have questions, questions about emotional eating, comfort food? We're, we're here to
0: take them on. Want a, want me to find the old list of other podcast names? Um, <laughs> we can see if any of them are any good. I think we landed on the right one. I think yeah. it speaks to our souls in a big yeah. way.
1: Well, if you guys do have com- uh, questions, feel free to send them to us at comfortfoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on sh- social and DM us.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Find out more at VirginiaSoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at V underscore SoulSmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at CellTradePlus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The burnt toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism.